Welcome to the Redeemer Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are blessed as you join us in walking through the Word of God together. To learn more about our ministry in St. Albans, Vermont, please visit RedeemerChurchBT.com. This week, as we continue in our sermon series on the Holy Spirit, Pastor Michael is focusing on what Scripture has to say about the Spirit's role in our sanctification. Or in other words, the process by which the Spirit makes us more like Christ. Often we mistakenly think that the progression of our sanctification is from external to internal. Or for example, if I just work harder at being a better person, then my heart will be more like Christ's heart. But Scripture shows us that sanctification is a work that the Spirit does in our hearts for obedience to Christ. So the result of this heart change is our outward actions better reflecting that of Christ. The main passage that the sermon will be from is 2 Corinthians 3, 10-18, which says this, Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all, because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, if you haven't already, you can go ahead and take a seat. So my name is Michael Badger. And I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer Church, and I am so thankful to be able to be here with all of you guys, uh, both new faces, faces we haven't seen in a while, and people who are here with us regularly. It's so good to be here with you and worship with you and be able to dig into God's Word together. So if you haven't been here over the last few weeks, we've actually been going over uh, a series on the Holy Spirit, which is it's kind of different how, than how we usually do things. We usually kind of pick one book of the Bible and preach all the way through. That's usually our, our typical way of doing things. But we decided to really focus in on uh, one of probably the, the least or most commonly misunderstood persons of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And we want to look at His work, and, and right now we're looking at His work in the life of a believer. And last week we looked at the Holy Spirit's work in adoption, uh, bringing us into the fold, bringing us into the family of Christ. And then this week we're going to look at the Holy Spirit's work in our sanctification. Now, sanctification is is really kind of just a, a fancy term for the work of the Holy Spirit making a Christian more and more like Jesus. That's, that's sanctification. That's a simple definition uh, that we're going to be prayerfully exploring this morning. But before we go any further, let us go ahead and pray that the Holy Spirit is our guide this morning. Please pray with me. 
Lord, we thank you so much for the wonderful opportunity of being able to come here together to worship you, God, to, to look at your living word together, to hear your word preached, to sing, to sing these, these praises to you, God, these songs that aren't just songs, but they're, they're prayers to you, God. Thank you, Lord, so much for that opportunity. And God, as we dig into this topic of sanctification and, and your work in this sanctification, I pray, God, as always, that you are our guide this morning. Lord, that we don't rely on our feelings, that we don't rely on these preconceived notions that we have, God, but that we really look at your word and bend our knee to you, bend our knee to your teaching. So I pray that you guide us this morning. I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at a couple different passages this morning, and if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to begin with 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3. So if you have your Bibles, please open, that, open them up to that passage. Now, this chapter is actually pretty packed with some kind of some deep and heavy theology that has a lot of references to the Old Testament, to one specific uh, passage in the Old Testament specifically. But in summary, Paul in this chapter, in 2 Corinthians 3, is bringing out the difference between the Old Covenant, which is found primarily in the Old Testament, and the New Covenant, which was brought about by Jesus. And Paul is saying that, that there was a glory to the Old Covenant. There was a glory there, but it was a fading glory, a glory that was coming to an end. And the glory of the Old Covenant was that it was pointing to the greater covenant that was coming. And this new covenant was established and ratified by Jesus' blood on the cross. But Paul is wanting to make it perfectly clear here that the glory of the old covenant, it was real. It was a real glory, and it was a glorious covenant, but it was a glory which purpose would, its purpose was, was pointing to the coming of Jesus. The coming of Jesus, who would, who would live out the law of God perfectly and give all to all those who believe his own righteousness now this is why paul in verses 10 through 11 says indeed in this case what once had glory has come to have no glory at all meaning the old covenant ceased to have glory because of the glory that surpassed it for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. And friends, that, that, that might sound kind of confusing, but that's actually our hope, right? That our salvation in Christ, this, this new covenant that He has made with us through His sacrifice on the cross to pay for our sins, was a once and for all thing. It was a once and for all covenant. It is permanent, and it is full of a surpassing glory. That's our hope. It is this great and permanent glory that is ours. And Paul then says in verses 12 through 16, since then this is our hope, or since this is our hope, the new covenant that is permanent, we are very bold. And he kind of you know, gives a shot at Moses. He says, not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. 
Now let me just kind of take a quick pause right here for a second to kind of explain that because it can be a little bit confusing. You see, when Moses came off of the mountain after his experience with God and receiving his law on the stone tablets, Moses' face radiated with the glory of that interaction. And some believe that Moses put a veil over his face to, to not frighten the Israelites. They would see this man coming down off the, off the cliff and his, his face would just be glowing like a nightlight. And he didn't want to scare him. Some people believe that's why he put the veil over his face. But as you read the account of Moses and, and the, his face shining in Exodus 34, you see that he doesn't actually put the veil on until after he gives the law to God's people. The veil came after he had this interaction with God's people. And so it appears that Moses actually put on this veil to obscure that the glory that shone on his face was fading. And so the picture Paul is saying is being painted by Scripture is that the veil signified that Israel would be veiled to the truth, that the old covenant was not meant to last, or they were veiled to that truth, that it was fading to be replaced with the new covenant that was brought by Jesus. And this is made more clear in the words of Paul in the following verses in 2 Corinthians 3, because he says, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So Paul is saying that the minds of Israel were hardened. There was, there was a veil over their hearts that really made them blind to Jesus, blind to the Old Covenant coming to an end on the cross. And friends, we can actually kind of apply this to, to all unbelievers. Because we, we, we know that an unbeliever can read the Bible from, from cover to cover and yet never come to true knowledge and true saving faith in Jesus. And this is because they, like all of us once were, have minds that are hardened. They have hearts that are veiled. But, but, there is freedom in the Spirit. There's freedom in the Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, that veil over the heart can be lifted. And freedom from spiritual blindness can be had. And friends, this is another picture of what happens in the new birth, right? Remember when we talked about that? In, in new birth, the, the veil lifts and we are now free to see Jesus and the everlasting glory of the new covenant. We can, we can finally taste and see that the Lord is good, right? That's a picture of the new birth. And so that was, that was, that was a bit of, of context for our passage today, which is actually technically just, just verse 18. So we kind of had to go through all of that just to get to one small little verse. But, but it's important, I think. But verse 18, Paul now gets into the life of a believer. And he says, and we all, meaning, meaning all believers, all of us, all of them, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Meaning we are all being transformed together into the same image. We're not just a bunch of different images coming together. We are all being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory 
to another. And friends, who does this work of transforming us? For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And this, this transforming is another word for sanctification. And this, this verse could easily read, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being sanctified into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so here we see the Spirit's overarching goal in sanctification, in this transformation. Because in our sanctification, the image that we are all being transformed into is the image of Jesus. Right? That's the the image we're being molded into. The Holy Spirit is molding us like these lumps of clay more and more into the image of Jesus. And friends, you actually really see the humility of the Spirit here. You see how humble the Holy Spirit is. Because His goal is not to make us more and more like the Holy Spirit, more and more like Himself, or to shine a light onto the Holy Spirit, but to focus our gaze and transform us to make us look like Jesus. And the way that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, and I find comfort here, I find a lot of comfort here actually, happens progressively. It happens progressively. It doesn't happen all at once. You don't experience the new birth and place your faith in Jesus and then then just kind of automatically become perfectly sanctified. I don't think any of us in this room would would admit to having that kind of experience when they first came to Christ. It doesn't doesn't happen that way. Paul describes that fact here. He says, we are brought from one degree of glory to another degree of glory, right? In other words, sanctification is this upward growth into Christ-likeness. We'll touch on that a little bit more later. But suffice it to say, this is the goal of sanctification. This is the, the purpose of sanctification. The Holy Spirit working in you to conform you into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. Now just real quick, this is kind of a quick aside, but what is so beautiful, I think, here is that remember how we said that the visible manifestation of glory in Moses began to fade over time. This was to kind of show the the fading glory of the Old Covenant. But this this glory that Moses experienced kind of faded from from his face, faded from his experience a little over time. Well, One commentator I read while preparing for this sermon said something that I really loved. And he essentially stated that Moses experienced a glory that eventually faded, right? We just talked about that, leaving his face normal after some time. And so while Moses experienced a fading glory, we as believers in Christ Jesus get to experience an ever-increasing glory. How amazing is that? The Moses that, or the glory that shone on, on Moses faded over time, but that's not our experience. We, we experience an ever-increasing glory as the Spirit grows us in Christ's likeness. His glory that radiates through us like a, like a lighthouse in the darkness doesn't grow dimmer. It doesn't leave us. It stays with us. And as we walk with our Lord and are transformed into His likeness, that light of glory just grows brighter and brighter and brighter. And so friends, again, that's that's the overarching goal. It's the overarching purpose of the Holy Spirit in you working sanctification to grow you in the image of Christ, in the image of your Savior, having His glory shine through you all the more. 
Now, let's kind of take a closer look at what sanctification actually looks like in the life of a believer. Turn with me to 1 Peter 1, verse 2. Actually, 1 and 2. You can look at both verses if you really want to. 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. This kind of gives us another angle to sanctification. Now, First and Second Peter were written by the Apostle Peter, uh, one of Jesus' closest disciples. And, and maybe apart from the Apostle Paul, I don't think we really see a more perfect example of sanctification in all of Scripture. If you know anything about the life of Peter, he was really good at sticking his foot in his mouth. He was really good at, at kind, of, you know, kind of falling short when, when the going got tough and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then he, his growth was exponential. He did all these wonderful things, especially after Christ ascended. And then he fell again. And then he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles, and Paul had to kind of get on his case. But then, then he started to grow again. That's like the perfect picture of sanctification. But look at Peter's opening remark to this letter as he addresses those he's writing to. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and sanctification of the Spirit. Now, just pause there. So Peter is addressing Christians who have been elect by the foreknowledge of God in sanctification. And so, sanctification is part of God's election, God's salvation. Those who are elect are saved. Those who are saved are sanctified by the Spirit. And then Peter says that this sanctification is for something. Right? It's for something. It's got a, a purpose. The Spirit is accomplishing a purpose in sanctification. And what is that purpose? Well, Peter tells us, for obedience to Jesus and for sprinkling with His blood. Now, the sprinkling with His blood simply means that we are sanctified so that we may receive the benefits that His blood grants to us, meaning forgiveness and freedom from sin and eternal life, all those wonderful things that are, are ours, our inheritance. But I want us to pay attention to the obedience. Because Peter says that we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of obedience to Jesus Christ. And this obedience to Christ is actually essential for our becoming more like Him. It's actually so important that Jesus even put it into His own Great Commission, right? You remember that? Matthew 28, 18 through 20? The Great Commission. He says, And He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them what? Teaching them what? To observe all that I commanded you. To observe all that I commanded you. You can kind of switch out that word observe for to, to obey all that I commanded you. Now when we run across this verse in 1 Peter and others like it that speak to obedience or, or, or obedience to Christ, I, I think that there can be this common mistake that can be made. Because when we see this word or phrase, obedience or obedience to Christ, we, what we typically have in view is, is often just our outward behavior, right? That's, that's kind of what we think of when we think of obedience to Christ. Just, just what do I need to do with my hands in order to obey Christ? And we can kind of have a, a militaristic mindset about it. 
right? The Holy Spirit is the drill sergeant telling you to obey the rules of Christ. And as long as you comply, you know, hey, hey you're, you're golden, right? You're good to go. And friends, if we think that the end goal of the Holy Spirit and sanctification is just better behavior, then friends, I, I, I think that we've missed what Peter is actually talking about here. And we've, we've missed what, what actual obedience to Christ is. We've, we've missed the purpose of sanctification. And this is because sanctification is not just another term for behaviorism. The Holy Spirit and His work of sanctification reaches far deeper than our, our obedience in our outward actions. That's only look at the outworking of the law of Christ and not to actually look at the law or the heart of the law of Christ. And here's what I mean by that. What are, the, what are the two commandments that Jesus says are the most important of all of Scripture? Do you remember what they are? Love God, love people. Mark 12. To love God first and to love your neighbor. To love people. All of the law of God can be summed up in those two commandments. And those are the commandments of Christ. That is the law of Christ that we are still called to obey even today. Everything else, all, all other outward obediences that we do flow downstream from those two commandments. And so sanctification should and absolutely does affect our outward behaviors. But the ultimate obedience in which the Spirit draws you to, to, uh, draws you to is, is actually found here. It's found here. It's an obedience of the heart in loving God and loving people. And that's the that's a grand design of your sanctification. The more that you grow in your love for God, and the more that you grow in your love for people, the more that you will look and act and think like your Savior. The more you will reflect His glory to the world around you. And so I want us to just kind of take a quick look at one of these commands and how the Spirit sanctifies us in them. And when it comes to the Spirit sanctifying us by bringing us to obey that first great command of, of loving God, I believe it is helpful to, to take a page from our brother in Christ who was, a, who was pretty prominent in New England in the 18th century, a man named Jonathan Edwards. You know, Edwards' theology can really be summed up by John Piper in the title of his biography of Edwards, uh, that he wanted a God-entranced vision of all things. A God in transvision of all things. And he once said, Edwards once said, that he wanted God to stamp eternity on his eyeballs. Isn't that great? That's a weird way to put it, but you know, it's a good word picture, I think. Stamp eternity on his eyeballs. And he said this so that everything that he looked at, from his family to his work to his community to the created world around him, even to his enemies, he wanted to see those things in light of his eternity with Christ. That's the lens through which he desperately desired to see the world through. And when Edward spoke of sanctification, he actually spoke in the language of beauty and satisfaction. Beauty and satisfaction. And those are not the words we typically associate with sanctification. But nonetheless, Edwards thought they were essential to it. He said that sanctification was the progressive emergence of holiness 
in the life of a believer through a vision of God's beauty as a result of union with Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that one more time. He said that sanctification was the progressive emergence of holiness in the life of a believer through a vision of God's beauty as a result of union with Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so essentially what Edwards is saying is that sanctification comes by the Holy Spirit making you fall increasingly in love with the beauty of God. That's essentially what he's saying. It comes as you are increasingly taken captive by His splendor and majesty. It comes as you are more and more overwhelmed by His beauty as displayed in in creation in the mountains and trees and and rivers and lakes. In In the human beings that He crafted from the dust. His beauty is displayed in the loving kindness that He showed to us in sending His Son to die for us. All that so we could be saved from our sins. Saved from our rebellion against Him. His resplendence that is to be revealed to us when we receive the fullness of our inheritance in the life to come. The Holy Spirit is working in us a deeper love for His beauty and all that there is. And therefore, He is creating in us a longing for that which is most beautiful. Of which everything else is just simply a, a, a shadow. He's creating in us a longing for Himself. And this work of the Holy Spirit, friends, has a sanctifying power. Because as we begin to see Him and love Him as the most beautiful and everything else that is, that is against Him, it will just, it'll just lose its appeal. Now, Edwards believed that the Bible teaches that we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And, and, and we believe that too, right? And that's, that's, that's Romans 8, that's, that's Colossians 3. We all, we all believe that. But he believed the way that the Spirit aids us in doing that is not by simply making us follow a legalistic code of, of do's and do nots, but through an actual changing of the affections, of the, of the longings of the heart, so that we see God as more delightful, as more satisfying, as more lovely than any momentary pleasure that can be had in sin. And I believe this is precisely what Psalm 37.4 is speaking of as well. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desire of your heart. Now, a materialistic world can view that in a very materialistic way. But if we find our ultimate delight and pleasure in the Lord, if it is He that is our foundational happiness in life, then friends, what would be the natural desire of our heart if all those things were true? Would it be things? Would it be things? Would it be a a job, a career advance? Would it be any of those things? If we found our true happiness in the Lord? No. It would be Him. And I believe this is an, an awesome kind of circular functioning of the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. He changes the desires of our hearts to fall in love with Him, with His beauty, making us delight in Him and want Him more and more, which He then gives to us. How amazing is that? Furthering along our sanctification. And we grow in obedience to that first command 
We grow in our love and affection for God as we cannot take our eyes off of His beauty. Friend, what a different picture this is than what what usually floods our minds when we think of sanctification and growing in obedience and holiness. What a different picture this is. From from this this legalistic way of living to just kind of living out your life, trying to make sure that you you don't step out of line or God's going to get you to, to longing for Him. To loving how beautiful He is. To wanting to just bask in His glory and receive more of it. And then your obedience flows from there. And friends, I believe we cannot measure sanctification by the works of our hands alone but by the love and joy that we find in God. And I actually believe we see this within the life of Jesus Himself. His relationship with the Father was the most valuable and beautiful thing to Him. And we actually see this played out in, in at the very least, two different ways. Probably a lot more than that, but we only got time for two. And the first is that His love for the Father made Him yearn to spend more time with Him. Over and over again, we see Jesus taking every single opportunity that He had to get away and be with His Father. To go to Him. To talk to Him. And friends, here we see another sanctification circle. The more beauty and satisfaction we find in Christ, the the more we are drawn to, to emulate Him in this, in spending time with Him in the Word and in prayer. I mean, the more that you are drawn into Bible study and prayer, the more the Spirit grows in us our love for Jesus. The more beautiful that we find Him, which makes us want to spend even more time with Him. Prayer and the Word are means of grace, avenues of grace that the Spirit uses to sanctify us. We can't have sanctification without them. And the second way in which we see how Jesus found God more beautiful than, than all else was in his statement in John 4, 32 through 34. After Jesus has the famous encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well, his disciples approach him and says, and they say, uh, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples said to one another, has, has, has anyone brought him something to eat? They're, they're kind of confused. Things kind of went over their heads quite a bit, just like they go over ours. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Because of the immeasurable pleasure that Jesus found in the Father and His love for Him, the food, the, the sustenance, that which energized Jesus was doing the will of the Father, was obeying the Father. And so, brothers and sisters, what I want you to see here is not that sanctification has has nothing to do with our outward obedience. That's not what I'm saying in the slightest. James makes that perfectly clear. Faith without works is a dead faith, is a false faith. But outward obedience without the preceding love and joy in God is not something that you are going to find spiritually filling or spiritually appetizing. 
If your outward obedience to Jesus, meaning your Bible study, your prayer time, caring for others, your evangelism, if all of those outward things do not stem from your heart's love for Him, then friends, your actions are not a product of sanctification, but it's a product of just human religiosity and, and, and nothing more. And this is the point John makes in 1 John 5 when he says in verses 2 and 3, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. You see, loving God leads to obeying His commands, but in a way in which those commands are not a burden on us. In a way that is like Jesus, where, where like Him, obeying God actually becomes our pleasure. Our, our, our joy, our sustenance, our, our spiritual food, not things that we do just to keep the big man in the sky not mad at us. Right? That is how we know that, we, that, that our obeying is out of love and a product of the Spirit working in us sanctification. That we obey God and His commands are not a burden. They're a pleasure. They're our spiritual food. And so friends, let's not get too focused on what our hands are doing and forget that sanctification is first a work that is done by the Spirit in the heart, bringing us into conformity with Christ's first command, to love God. But sanctification is also the Holy Spirit bringing us into obedience with the second greatest command. Which is what again? Love each other. Love people. Love your neighbor. So as we seek to be transformed and into the image of Christ by being transfixed by, by His beauty and brought into an ever-deepening love for Him, friends, this means that we also should desire for the Holy Spirit to make our love for people His own love for people. Right? And I believe this is really kind of broken down into just, just two categories. We're called to love other believers, and we're also called to love unbelievers. You can throw enemies in there too, but they can kind of fall in either, one, either, either category, unfortunately. <laughs> and I think no scripture actually makes this, this kind of first category of believers, of, of us loving believers, more clear than Jesus' words in John 13. John 13, uh, 34 through 35. And Jesus says, A new command I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, with the same love that Jesus had for the disciples, for the same love that Jesus has for, for you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The way the world knows that we are disciples of Christ Jesus is how we treat and how we love one another. As the Spirit works sanctification in your heart, you will grow in your desire to nurture and care for your brothers and sisters. And like Paul in Romans 15, 16, our own love for them will be shown in what we desire most for them. What is our desire for our brothers and sisters in Christ? And as we become more sanctified, our biggest desire, our biggest heart for them should be that they too become more and more sanctified. That they grow more into the likeness of Christ. 
As we are sanctified, as we are made into the image of Jesus and made to obey this law of loving people through the working of the Holy Spirit, friends, all of those sins, not perfectly now, but, but progressively, all of those sins that cause relational strife between people will begin to lose their teeth. And jealousy, covetedness, hate, bitterness, and all the rest will progressively be put to death as we are sanctified, not just as individuals, but, but corporately, as a body. The more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we will have our hearts broken over what breaks our brothers' and sisters' hearts. The more the Spirit will pull us toward, the more the Spirit pulls us toward Christ, the more we will act like Christ and follow the call of Paul in Galatians 6 and actually desire to bear one another's burdens. And that can be, be really difficult because all of us have our own burdens, right? And But when we love one another with the same love that Christ loved us, we want to take those heavy burdens off of the shoulders of our brothers and sisters in Christ and add it to our own burdens. That's what love looks like for one another. Now our growth in our love for God is directly tied to our love for one another. And this is the point of 1 John 4, 7 through 8, which says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If you want to check your spiritual condition of yourself, just kind of check where your gauge is in terms of your relationship with God, look at how much you love other people too. Now that second category, not only are we called to love people within the church, but we're also called to love people outside of the church. In this, in our political climate, the craziness that's going on in the world and in all over the place, whatever, this can be difficult. This can be very difficult. And we can sometimes feel a resistance to it in our own hearts. But friends, we are called to love unbelievers the same way that Christ loved us. John 3.16, right? Remember that? Romans 5.8, the mission of Jesus was out of love for us. If you're a believer in this room, the mission of Jesus was out of love for you who, were a, who was a sinner, a rebel against God. You who were outside of the church by His sovereign grace and the work of Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins, brought us into His fold. And now part of our sanctification is loving the lost and seeking to, in Jesus' words in Matthew 4, 19, become fishers of men. And friends, how are you going to become fishers of men if you don't love them? As one pastor once said, as you move closer to Christ by the working of the Spirit, the more you care about those furthest from Christ. And friends, I've been so blessed to actually see this work itself out in, in our own church by, through a brother who, through his humility, to, wanted to remain nameless. I wanted to shout it from the rooftops, but I'm going to respect him. But this brother in Christ came to me and, and, and said that he, had a, he just had a tr trouble loving other people outside of the church. He didn't, he didn't care about unbelievers. He didn't have that burden for them. And then over the last year and a half, how long he's been with the church, we've been able to see that grow. 
And now, just, just a few weeks ago, he was, he was weeping, talking about his unbelieving neighbors. And friends, that should be our heart. That should be us. We should want to weep for our unbelieving friends and family members and neighbors because, because we know that while our, our salvation is set, we know that theirs is not. And we should want them to come into conformity with Christ, to place their faith in Jesus Christ and live with Him forever. Amen. So this is a picture of sanctification, of growing in our love for those outside of the church. Now, a difficult question to ask yourself when you are praying and thinking over your sanctification here is in growing for your love with others, the, the, a difficult question is, do those who I say I love feel loved by me? Let me ask that again. Do those who I say I love feel loved by me? And Jesus didn't simply talk the talk in His love for people. Those around Him knew of His great love for them. When it came to those He came to save, His love for them was felt. He spent time with them. He ate with them and drank with them, even to the point where His critics were accusing Him in Matthew eleven nineteen that He was a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors. But those Jesus, those who Jesus came to save, and, and those whom were his disciples, they felt loved by Jesus. They couldn't deny that. Even if in that love he was calling them to repentance and faith. So do those inside the church and outside of the church feel the love of Christ from you? That is a sobering question. Lord, sanctify us in our love for people. Now, friends, as I wrap up, <clears throat> sanctification is God's grand design for our lives here and now. You and I becoming more and more and more like Jesus is the goal that God has for you right here and now. If you want to know the will of Christ for your life, that's something that we're always trying to figure out, what's God's will for me, that is His will for you. To look more like Jesus. If you want to know why the Lord is putting you through trials and, and pains and difficulties, well, friends, it is so that through the fires of tribulation, the Holy Spirit can burn away those vestiges of sin, those vestiges of, of not trusting Him, and to make us look and sound like and reflect and love and find ultimate beauty and satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone. That's, that's James 1, that's Romans 5 in a nutshell. But friends, again, we must remember that the Bible teaches progressive sanctification. I know in sermons like this, when you're hearing about all these things that we should be, or that the Lord is trying to grow us into, we can get, we can get depressed and we can kind of start looking around and, and kind of start comparing ourselves to, to other people, and that's not what we're called to do. Sanctification is progressive, and it looks differently for each of us. We're all called to, to grow in the image of Christ, so it's the same there, but, but the way that God does it, the speed in which God does it, is different for each person. It is a process. Remember our opening passage. We are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. But 
Sanctification should be an ever upward trajectory. We should desire to look at our life and see that we are more sanctified today than we were a year ago. And so, friends, let us not neglect those those means of grace in which the Lord does sanctify us. Let's not neglect the Word and prayer along with fellowshipping with one another. Those are the means of grace in which the Lord brings us into conformity with Him. Now, let us pray that the Holy Spirit keeps working sanctification in us so that we may love God and love others more tomorrow than we did today. Please pray with me. Lord, again, I just thank you so much, God, for the wonderful work of sanctification that you are doing in each and every single believer. God, what a a pleasure, what a gift it is to be able to to do this, to to be one of the pastors of this church, so I can actually see this happening in, in real time. I can see people who are new believers grow in their faith, grow in their love for you, and grow in their, Lord, in their love for other people as well. Being able to see that in new Christians and, and Christians who have been following you for a long time, Lord, what a privilege that is. So I thank you. Lord, I pray, God, that you help us love each other. Lord, help us care the most about each other's sanctification over over all other things, Lord. Let us help point each other to you, reminding us that the Lord is working in us. Even when we feel like he's not, he, Lord, you are. Lord, we love you. God, I pray this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.